Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I know I'm watching your show, but I'm like, he's dead. They filmed a man dying. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. McMuscles, how are you doing? Yes, I am. I am doing. I'm doing fine. I am. I'm stuck on this desert island. I need something to do. <laughs> you have. I don't know how you got here. The same. I don't know how the other seventy people got here, but here we are, all together, <laughs> all a bunch of fools together, on a scale of one to ten. One mm. being not at all, Your Honor, and ten being it is completely my fault. How responsible are you for the return of Beyond Good and Evil? Not, not at all. Like if I could go less than not at all, that I, I, I think that would be more uh, accurate because, um, as, as far as I know, Beyond Good and Evil is always something on the the back burner, like a return of it. So I think that was going to happen regardless of how many idiots make videos on the internet saying what happened to Beyond Good and Evil, um, but what I'm interested in is to see if that even actually sort of maybe comes out because we're, we're in this real weird world where if a game goes dark, that might be a really good thing because they're only going to show it when they know they have a thing and not start showing it when they don't have anything at all. So you, you never know, like uh, Ubisoft has a couple of games that we haven't heard of from in years. Like there was that pirate game, um, Skull and Bones, that was just their Assassin's Creed stuff. And then they just stopped talking about it. And they're like, no, it's, it hasn't been canceled. And they're like, you haven't talked about it in like five years. And they're like, we know. So you, you, it could, Beyond Good and Evil's return could be cut short before it ever started or or it could very well come out next year, you know? Now, yeah, because this is obviously you did a video about Beyond Good and Evil and then yep. almost almost immediately after it's like, oh, 
hey, it's a thing. Here we go. And if it was to turn out, if it was to transpire that you do have some sort of weird, mystical, magical power that would allow uh, games to be conjured back into existence, which would your next video series be on? What would your next video, what would your next what happened be on? If you had um, that power? I, I saw a similar question to this floating around on Twitter. It's like uh, it's Homer pointing at the Homer car. And mm -hmm. just going like, if you were given like whatever you could to bring back a certain thing, what 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 would it be? What is your Homer uh, car, Matt? <laughs> this is the, I, I bounce around on this a little bit because there's stuff that like I personally like, and then there's stuff that I think like the greater like you know gaming zeitgeist wants. And I was originally gonna say like Final Fight. I'd want Final Fight to come back with the success of Streets of Rage Four. Uh, River City Girls, like beat 'em ups are kind of a bit more in vogue now. Um, but I think it's like we actually really need F Zero back. And a lot of people, like my friend Derek from Stop Skeletons from my friend Derek from Stop Skeletons from Fighting, um, said, Why can't we have F Zero 99? Just 99 players, and just that's all that's the only a big innovation you need to do. And I'm just thinking about that. It's like a, uh, a battle Royale racing game where, I mean, that's, that's no one's, I don't think anyone's done that before. And that's all you would need to do. It doesn't even have to look that good. Cause I get it. 99 racers on a single screen, like is hard to render, yeah. but that's what made F zero X on the N64. So good is cause they dialed back the graphics a lot to mm -hmm. keep a really steady frame rate. So I, my my heart says Final Fight. I want Capcom to reboot Final Fight, but I think the better choice probably for everyone is uh, F-Zero to return in some form. I saw your tweet about that, and it's true. It's like Nintendo saying, oh, we need a, we need a reason, an innovation to bring back F-Zero. Yeah, but you made 300 Kirby games. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. You just need to bring it back, you cowards it, it, it's one thing if they released a new f-zero game like two years ago three years ago it's like well do we really want to make like a sequel that's just like a sequel it's like you mm. could but i get wanting to make something a little bit different but it's been 17 years <laughs> and a fuckers you didn't even make it it was <laughs> sega that made the last one so you have no excuse the last time you made one was on maybe the gba one of those weird GBA ones no one played, you know? A, it was Sega that made it and not you. And B, well, we don't need a B because the A was so great. <laughs> exactly. exactly, exactly. Look, 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 the secret is uh, what happened for F-Zero and then magically it'll reappear. That's the magic of Matt McMuscles. But we're not here to talk about that particular magic no, today. You've already alluded to it, sir. You're stranded on a desert island with 70 other people, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a dog. We've not thought through the logistics of this yet. It's the island's That's getting fine. bigger. Uh, but while you're here, we're going to burn a DVD for uh, featuring three wrestling matches that you'd love to watch whilst you're there. Because the more that people learn about yourself, Matt, is the more people learn what a massive wrestling fan you actually are. I mean, okay, I, I don't, I don't want to put forward a false narrative here. Too I late. You already have. 
damn it i i love the idea of wrestling there's there's a certain je ne sais quoi about wrestling that i will never not love but at the same time it's like i i can't keep up with wrestling there's too much at a given time so i'm i'm in love with uh brennan williams uh i'm in love with friends in the wrestling community and stuff but like there, there's just too much i can't even access aw where i am that's not something that's available to me i've looked into it to to get it legally i i don't even have that option so there's a lot of wrestling i don't get to watch but but yes i i do enjoy grappling in general so i just want to make that clear i'm gonna get shit wrong that's fine that's fine we'll talk i want to talk about your your, your grappling fandom bling uh, in just a moment but let's okay. pick your first wrestling match for your dvd what would you like the first match to be matt okay my my yeah, I need a I need a tone setter. I have my three matches, but I'm like, what what would actually like? I'm trying to think about this like a meal. Like I'm sitting down, nice. and I'm like, I need a I need a my entree. So my entree would be RVD versus Jeff Hardy in a hardcore ladder match, SummerSlam 2001. Welcome to the Shark Tank, Rob Van Dam, Jeff Hardy, a hardcore ladder match for the WWF hardcore title. Van Dam climbing to the top. So is Jeff. Jeff looking for the top. And Van Dam just took Jeff Hardy right off the ladder. Oh, what a shot that was. Van Dam is getting close to the goal. Van Dam looking for the hardcore title. And Jeff Hardy with a drop kick. Knocking Van Dam the ladder down. The only saving grace for Van Dam is that he landed on Hardy. So Hardy wiped himself out to stop Van Dam from getting the title. Check this out. On the top of Van this is this is the height of the WCW invasion storyline. One uh, that many wrestling fans uh, look on as as, a, as what should have been like a billion dollar year for the WWF turned into something very different. But <laughs> with this match, let's not get into the the rigors too much of of the political side of it. But no. as a, why this match in particular. Um, I think like 2001 was generally where my actual like uh, wrestling watching was at its highest, maybe even the year before because WCW was still, you know, in business. So I was flipping around to watch both Nitro and um, and uh, Raw. But the, the reason why generally the invasion and it's like kind of well, before the invasion pay-per-view, which is kind of where things started to fall apart. But uh, SummerSlam was just really hype. Like I thought, I thought in my head they were nailing it. Like this is perfect. This is exactly what it should have been. When you know you pull back the curtain a little bit, it's like, hey, you could see where things are kind of going uh, off the rails. But uh, for me personally, this match is when like I kind of was made aware of RVD. I had heard his name before, but in Canada, ECW was not even a thing. That was airing on nowhere um that was airing on the nowhere network like that was not available <laughs> TNN, as it was better known yeah yeah um well in in canada it's uh tsa and the sports network i believe that's where All i usually right. watch watch my grapples but i'd heard of the name rvd i didn't remember that little mini ecw invasion what in 97 um i didn't i didn't really have a memory of that and he did pop up there but um this match was just 
you saw how over RVD got just by doing shit in the ring. Whereas like every other Alliance member would get booed. Um, RVD was the only one that, that would get cheered. And like people, I, I, at that time, I felt this was weird. I'm like, well, why are people cheering him? And I'm like, oh, that's why. That thing that he just did, Rolling Thunder, uh, Five Star Frog Splash. How can you not cheer that? It's like you're supposed you're supposed to be a heel, but like he's just not getting that reaction. It's just people just want him to see uh, people just want to see him do cool shit in the ring. And Jeff Hardy just as good as doing cool shit in the ring. And you throw a ladder into the mix. The when I rewatch the match again this week, the amount of ohs on everything and. Nowadays, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is like we've we've kind of seen it before multiple times, a few things, maybe not some RVD specific stuff, but, you know, some variation of it. But this was like the first time I'd seen a lot of these moves, a lot of these really things that like if, if you were in a video game, you would not do this move because it would cause more damage to yourself. Like I think he does. He puts he puts Jeff down on the, the canvas, puts the ladder on top of Jeff, then does a rolling thunder. I'm like, you're, you, that hurt you only. If anything, like <laughs> Jeff was going, oh, that felt quite nice. Thank you. <laughs> like that was, I was slightly sandwiched. I felt cocooned between the canvas and, and the ladder. But RVD is like, oh my God, why did I do this? Um, the only thing about this match, because like, it's just hit after hit after hit. Um, and also JR and um, uh, Polly on commentary was like the best commentary team ever mm -hmm. because they both kept each other on their toes and it wasn't kind of like King where, you know, he worked for the WWE. So like his commentary could only be so interesting because he, he could only disagree with JR in certain instances, but like, um, a Paul Heyman could only could he could never not disagree. I think there's one point in this match where they kind of say something that isn't in full disagreement. Where uh, uh, Jr. says, "Anatomy, anatomy, ladder. You figure it out." And then uh, there's a brief pause, and Paul just decides, "What should I say?" And he goes, "Oh, I get it. The ladder wins." <laughs> and like that's just them playing off each other, but like they're not like, "Oh, the alliance is the best, and RVD is the best." So. That's that's a fun little moment. The only thing about this match is that maybe you can maybe you can tell me is like I'm not sure because it really didn't look like there was any way you would hit it. But they set up for a big spot towards the end where uh, Jeff is dangling from the belt and RVD pulls him back by his feet, mm -hmm. like kind of like lets him swing, like pulls him all the way back and lets him go. And then Jeff slightly swings and he's coming back and RVD quickly jumps off the top rope to do like a spinning heel kick off the top. And he totally misses. And even if Jeff swung as close to him as possible, he's still too, way too high up. Like the kick would never have connected with like maybe even his thighs, let alone like his stomach or midsection, like where he should be hitting him. So I'm like, was was this a botch or was this like, oh, well, let's set this up to look like something, but I, there's no way I can do I it. I think because... it was one of those things, Matt, where it was good on paper. Mm. The idea, like when you write down, I'm going to swing you. And then on the, on the swing back, on the swing by, I'm going to kick you. 
And when you write that down, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I can picture Jeff and Rob Van Dam sat backstage going, yeah, that'll be cool. Like a pendulum. I'll swing back the other mm. way. And as and, and as I'm flying towards you, you'll kick me. But they hadn't thought. I think I feel like it's one of those moves where they'd only thought that far into it. Like I'll swing yeah. you and then I'll kick you. And they hadn't thought too much more about the logistics of it. Like it's a bit of a common thing with Jeff Hardy and ladder matches. <laughs> He doesn't yeah, consider true. logistics too often. Like, like he'll just say, oh, like at WrestleMania 17, where he went, oh, I'll do a thing where I tightrope walk across the ladders. Yeah, and it just but, completely falls, I think. That's it. Yeah, he collapses through like the second. Like, I think he starts to stumble on the second, falls through the third one. Brave effort. Bronze. Crack on with the match. Like, yeah. There's, then there's a few moments like that. And I think that's very... Uh, whilst it looks awkward to watch it, I remember the bit that you mean. It's... It's it's very intri- it's very interesting of the style of Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy where they'll just kind of go, we'll do that, that'll be fine, we'll figure it out when we're out there. And spoiler, that's it, why Jeff Hardy's DVD is called Crash and Burn, or, or <laughs> you know, because there's so many. There's well, not so many. I think there's like in my memory, there's like this. There's the uh, WrestleMania 17, like you said, and I think there's like in my memory, like maybe one or two other things that like. He tried to do it and just just didn't work out. But I mean, this was kind of Rob Van Dam's thing. Like Jeff was, it's just that the belt was just too high up in the air. And Jeff, okay, the the wire either needed to be lowered or Jeff needed to grow taller at that particular moment. Like he needed a, a fucking mushroom to like get it just and then then maybe uh, RVD could hit him because their spot after that is just like well that failed. And Jeff took bigger spills than that. He just kind of dropped. Um, and then RVD just kind of goes up the ladder and just kind of picks it up. And Jeff is like, eh, eh, eh like, and, and that's kind of it. So I, it, it's, it doesn't even hurt the match that much, but like it was at that time. Uh, and I also prefer like minimal uh, members in a ladder match. I like the, the, you know, you put in like eight guys, it's, it's too unfocused for mm-hmm. me. I'd say like three, four at the very max, but like one-on-one ladder match is always a bit more engaging to me. And and at this time, I think they had a rematch either on Raw or at Invasion, and it wasn't quite as good as as this. Uh, well, this me. this oh, was the rematch. So it, they had the match at Invasion 2001 for the hardcore title. And that was a great match. That was where we got JR's now infamous call of, you know, they say, oh, they learned to fall. How'd you learn to fall off a 20 foot ladder? It came mm. from their match at Invasion. And this was the rematch. And you're absolutely right. This exceeded what they did at Invasion. And, and they, they built upon it. I'm confusing Invasion with Survivor Series, which happened later. That was like the pay-per-view where like a lot of stakes were on the line. Yeah, that was like that okay. was like the winner takes all. The either the either either we get the first ever WCW Monday Night Raw or we or the alliance is gone forever. So it was all right, right. high stakes in that in that year. Was where were you like as a wrestling fan? Where were you when you watched this or geographically? Can you remember where you were and what you would do when you Yes, this? because this is this is this is a total markdom. Markdom saturation 100%. I was going to movie theaters to watch the pay-per-views. Wow. Because that was a thing that that used to happen. They you you'd pay I think you'd pay the tickets for $20, which is not 
too much from like what an expensive screen is for like a movie that you're watching and you just go there there's a guy that brings uh i think he had beer be had beer and popcorn like a little cart and he'd like just go down there you just go there because you know it's perfect because oh here comes a women's match i can miss this mm. so you go down uh circa 2001 it's like yeah i'll miss the women's match that's fine um so you go down there and you just pick up some like uh you know i, I wasn't drinking beer at the time i was like oh no i'd get in trouble um, so I, I would just get a popcorn and go back up and, and watch and I'd go with like a, a few friends at the time. And yeah, I'd try to do that. I think I would not do that every pay-per-view, but for the big, like five, like I would always do it for Royal Rumble, definitely do it for WrestleMania and like, yeah, definitely SummerSlam plus SummerSlam. I love like, mm, they never made a better logo than the 2000, 2001 SummerSlam logo. It looks like it's a super soaker logo or like oh, a mirror thing. It's those bit, yeah. double S's that were green and yellow. Oh, that was such a summer thing because it just reminded me of foam and water guns. It's the best. They always nailed the aesthetic, I believe, of SummerSlam. Like a lot of people say that SummerSlam is one of those pay-per-views that gets lost to the shuffle. Like, I mean, this year more than ever, they're saying that SummerSlam 2021 will be the next time we have fans back at the wrestling. So it's going to mm-hmm. be more, more, more special than ever. But that logo, that iconic double S. Yeah. Sort of you like, could scribble that on your notebooks. You like, look yeah. at this cool logo I made. They so. nailed it. With, with going to the cinema to watch it with friends. So this would have been live, presumably. So like about yeah. eight o'clock on an evening. Yep. What, did you did you get to know sort of similar faces that would go who like, because not I would imagine like where you were, if you were going on the fairly regular to these uh, to these shows at cinemas, mm-hmm. you'd see similar people who weren't friends, but you'd always see them there. Like, did you get a lot of that sort of wrestling camaraderie from that? In, in my memory, I don't, I don't recall like pointing, mm. uh, looking at a person saying, oh, I've seen them before, but I probably did just, mm. you know, everyone uh, exits or enters the, the, the theater and you'll like, you'll, you'll be staring at the same person you're staring at a month ago, but you won't really, it won't really click, but I'm sure I, I remember there being like rowdy groups inside the theater and it was not even close to filled. I'd say maybe half, maybe even a little less than that, but you're paying a premium for the ticket. So I'm, I'm assuming it worked out for the, for the movie theater. And like, really it was such a, it was such a uh, more convenient option because at the time, at the time I was still living with my parents and they were like, I was like, can I watch wrestling? Can we order the pay-per-view? And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Okay. I guess. So they were right with you going to the cinema and and taking a bunch of mates and going and doing your own thing there. Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it wasn't like, oh, don't watch that devilish wrestling. It was like, I'm not going to pay for your shitty wrestling. (laughs) Like that's that was it. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'll just go downtown. (laughs) They didn't have a problem with that. And you know, they would the the pay per views wouldn't go on too long. Like I could still catch a bus back home. So. Uh, it worked out, and um, I think my other two matches, like they don't, e- they're not even around this same time frame at all. So this specifically, like SummerSlam 2001, is like peak, like going, catching every pay per view, trying not to miss anything, watching Raw and uh, SmackDown. SmackDown was weird because it would only it would play at the weirdest times, and like after it was done on TSN. So SmackDown was a bit harder for me to watch. I think when we did a a SmackDown review, I, I had said how like I don't, I didn't normally get to watch SmackDown because of Canada 
because of Canada. Yeah, because you know? Canada happened, I take. Um, with watching the wrestling at the cinema, uh, outside of this match, was there a moment that you fondly remember, like a moment where maybe the entire place came to life or a, a particular moment that you metaphorically or literally dropped your popcorn with like <laughs> a moment from that time watching cinema, what springs out to mind? I think, I think it was, uh, God, was it Armageddon 2000 or Armageddon 2001? The one with the gigantic, uh, hell in the cell. That it was, was like 2000. That was 2000. I think it was, even though it's like lame nowadays, like Rikishi's bump into the back of the, the truck was everyone was like, Oh, like, I do remember everyone going <gasps> like, like he was dead type thing, even though like you look back on now, you're like, that's I'll take that bump. No problem. <laughs> like anyone, <laughs> everyone would be fine with it. But at the time I remember everyone and that set was so cool. With all the broken cars everywhere um, and, and the Armageddon set. And I just remember that being a specific moment where everyone went crazy but generally, yeah, 2001 when invasion was happening and like, you know, there, there are swerves here and uh, left, right and center. There, there was some of that I remember people getting excited for, but nothing, nothing like that's like monumental or, or my memory is degraded. But um, I'd, I'd probably say, yeah, uh, Armageddon 2000. When did you become a wrestling fan? I remember my dad took me to like a house show, like I want to say early 90s. It was definitely like pre-95. I remember I remember DiBiase was in the ring, so it had to have been like 93, like 93 and, and, and earlier. Was he wrestling or was he managing? I'm pretty sure he was wrestling. Okay, um, that been sort of, I may have been like 92 maybe or 93, yeah. That, that sounds about right. And I remember that being really exciting and that was it. But it was mostly because I went to Survivor Series 97. Wow. Um, it was a fairly important Survivor Series. It was uh, indeed. It was the night that we had a triple threat between uh, <laughs> the, the Nation of Domination and the Disciples of Apocalypse and Los Bariquas and nothing else. Yeah, there's just, just like that was actually there's the only match on the card that you just described it was a short show. It was it. Um, that was it. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I love putting out my joke there. It's like, and that's when the greatest Montreal sports team was ever made, the Montreal Screwjobs. <laughs> there, there, are, there are a bunch of uh, hockey players that would constantly screw each other over. And they, <laughs> they, they're like the Harlem Globetrotters, but like bad. They would always lose. Anyway. Um, let's, let's talk about that first show before we, we touch on, on, okay. on the, the screw job. Uh, so it was sort of early 90s. Ted DiBiase was on the card. Uh, like, where, like As a wrestling fan, was this something that was brand spanking new or was this something that you'd seen on TV and your, your dad was introducing you to it or what was the crack? I, I think it was really like, wow, you can watch this stuff live. Like you can actually go. Because I think my memory back then was that it was all a TV show. Like it was like a stage and people showed up to like a TV studio, like, like a game show almost. I think that was like my earliest impression as, as a child baby, where I'm like looking at the product on TV and just going, oh, it's all like a, it's, it's like completely fabricated mm. rather than like 50% fabricated. <laughs> so um, I thought like, 
I thought the rustling was real, but it was like this weird like mix of reality. And like, it's kind of like, well, you know, we'll get to it later. But it's kind of like, I think in my head, it's like what Lucha Underground was, which was there's TV uh, storyline stuff happening around it. But the stuff in the ring was more real, I guess. Um, but when he brought me to the show, it was just like, wow, that's, that was, that was so awesome. Like I, I, we didn't, I didn't really go to concerts or like things that much. Uh, so being brought to a live show, like made a big impression. I still have that memory, even though that's like some 30 years ago, but uh, that was kind of like my taste of it. And then when I actually, you know, uh, I think Survivor Series was the first Montreal pay-per-view. I like there are house shows for sure, but yeah, I'm beginning to think that it might have been like the first time they'd been on pay-per-view at from Montreal. Yeah. I'm fairly so, sure that was the case. And even though this was pre-Titantron and we were in like row Z, uh, we're not even, we're, we're, we're on like row a negative X and we're on the roof of the building. And I watched the screw job unfold, but I had no idea what was happening because we're so far away. We couldn't understand what happened in the ring because we couldn't even see it. And there was no big TVs at the at that particular arena at that time. So we were just like, well, that was fun. I don't quite know what happened at the end. And it was only when I watched uh, Raw, the, like the following week, I was like, oh! <laughs> That's when you wow. realize you were you were part of a big old moment in wrestling yeah. history. I had no idea. What are the other wrestlers early on in your fandom that, that leapt off the screen to you? Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, like big, big Ultimate Warrior. But Ultimate Warrior was almost designed to appeal to kids where kids are too stupid to parse what he's saying to like for it to actually be compelling. But you just know that he was intense. And, you know, Hulk Hogan obviously was intense and, you know, like uh, Piper as well. So anyone that was like that, you know, really stood out, especially for kids. And Ultimate Warrior was definitely a big one. Uh, Papa Shango was also one in on like in the sense of like a, a villain. I was like, ooh, scary. Um, ooh, he can make you bleed black goo um, as any good villain can. Um trying to think about who else was on the roster well i mean a bit later uh uh razor was also really really cool like okay when i when i watch like old stuff especially when i watch uh osw reviews and they talk about razor and everyone in the comments is like man razor was so cool back then it was just he really was ahead of the time and they just didn't use him to the best of his ability and especially like diesel to a point where diesel was like this cool heel and then they kind of just neutered him and made him like a happy-go-lucky like baby face and it's like they really didn't have the foresight to go no you can have a guy that insults people and throws his toothpick at like you know just rent like but he can still be someone people cheer they just had to push that a little bit and they could have had austin well before austin but now they they just didn't think it would work i guess but like razor was also like when once um when Ultimate Warrior, like, you know, was gone for a bit, I was looking for, for, you know, uh, guys, cool guys to take up that mantle and Razor was kind of there for sure. It, it was what you say is true is that WWF went through this period where like you, you had that, you had the happy go lucky baby face and they couldn't, 
break out of that mold. The mm-hmm. idea of like someone like had had they let Diesel be Diesel, I think the wrestling landscape would have been very different because he yeah. Diesel was the leader of this of the new generation during an era where wrestling was really down. And I think you, as you say, perfectly said we could have had Steve Austin many years before Steve Austin turned up. But you, I mean, really, Razor was like very similar where it's like I, I don't really listen to authority and I just kind of do my own thing disrespects uh mcmahon and um you know uh, uh, uh the bell ringer and like guys that take his stuff before he before he starts a match and he did all these little things but then like it's almost as if like they stopped using him because they're like well we can't how are we supposed to take his attitude and like turn that into a a baby face have him team with the one two three kid i guess and maybe that'll that'll be a thing but it's just diesel you could kind of turn him into like yeah i'm just i'm just really good (laughs) and like that that's it you know and but but because razor had so much like uh attitude and certain things that he said and how they said it was like just don't even use him that's the perfect solution let's just use him less and less and less so one of those one of the the stars of this same era who was always sort of felt like always on the periphery and never quite near the exactly where they needed to be uh, was, was somebody lauded in Canada, which was Brett the Hitman Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much seen as a a stopgap champion for the WWF a lot of times. If something wasn't yeah. working, it felt like they'd give the belt to Brett whilst they figured out what to do next. Uh, what were what you living in Montreal? What were your feelings towards Bret Hart throughout your wrestling fandom? Well, looking back on it now, it's like they really didn't throw Canadianness on Bret Hart. Like they would be like, you know, from from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. But like, you know, it was like the hitman. It's not like you usually do like, well, he's Canadian. Let's make him into a Canadian thing. Let's make him. Oh, you're slipping on maple syrup. Oh, Bret uses the maple syrup on the floor or like hits you with a hockey stick or, you know, like they, they didn't do that. So as as a kid in the 90s, I didn't connect that much with him in terms of oh he's from my country mm-hmm. but i just knew brett was cool the, the name hitman is cool is his gears like you know pretty different and he's very very good in the ring but of course then brett talks and then it all kind of falls apart <laughs> whenever he talks so um i remember back then just i always like to see him wrestle but i my my face would just go blank whenever he did a promo so he was never quite there um, and I hated Shawn Michaels because I, I should have because of the way they portrayed him. But you look back on 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 it now and you're like, yeah, Shawn was obviously a bit more like, you know, uh, overall better in all the areas, uh, whereas Brett was like really good in one area. But I, I think it was only until, you know, uh, Canada versus America, the 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 world's greatest fake war. Um, in 96 and 97 where I was like, oh, okay. I I, I much preferred Brett then uh, versus all the times he was a like, you know, standard baby face and like uh, all of the earlier bits of the nineties. But once he like kind of, you know, the hard foundation, everything, I was like, oh yeah, Brett's, Brett's cool. And like, I didn't, I didn't dislike him because they put that Canadian thing forward. I was like, well, like, <laughs> I'm from here, you know, like I, I I didn't know who to really boo or whatever. I guess Shawn Michaels and or Austin or whatever at the time. But it was only then when I really kind of uh, took to Brett 
uh, and when he joined WCW, like I still tried to root, uh, tried to root for him, but they made it especially hard to root for Brett when he did so many stupid things in WCW. So a lot of us go through periods as wrestling fans where we sort of lapse from the fandom, sort of disappear and come back again. Like I myself mm. went through the, the, the new generation era is something I'm only recently discovering because it was during my time as a lapsed fan. Uh, did you ever lapse as a wrestling fan? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think I, I watched much after like 2005. Mm. Um, I just I'm not, I don't even have a particular reason I'm trying to think of it now. And I think it was either the, because there was no WCW and because there was no like competitor, like it, it did feel like some fire had gone away. Like, you know, you were invigorated to watch and support whichever company during the Monday night wars. And like, after that, you know, there's only so many years you can take of kind of this, the a company just more or less spinning its wheels because they're, they're not competing against anybody. So you don't have to be especially uh, innovative or do anything really crazy. And, it, you know, e even if they did, because I know that Raw and right 2005 got, did some pretty <laughs> stupid, crazy things, but I either felt, you know, you, you kind of, like you said, you lapsed fandom, you kind of felt, well, I'm, I'm getting too old for this almost, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't because I still like, you know, I was into fighting games and, and whatever. And that, you know, I'm still into combative, you know, over the top, fighting stuff whether it be in like a digital form or on tv but i just didn't i just didn't really get back into it and start watching pay-per-views again until uh, i want to say like maybe 2010 so like a good five-year lapse where i'm like okay let's see what this john cena is all about i guess it was because john cena got so popular at a point and they hadn't had anyone really really popular that like was jumping over to main, mainstream success that I didn't hear about him outside of the sphere of wrestling. So I was like, okay, well, let me watch and see what's going on. I'm like, oh, cool. Kane's still there. Of course he is. Uh, oh, um, you know, I, I think Edge was still there around that time. When did Edge actually retire or fake retire? Edge retired 2010. Okay. Um, so, uh, and he then like, you know, in there. yeah. Uh, and then like, oh, okay, well, uh, impact is a thing. Like I checked out impact for like two weeks and I'm like, okay, uh, that's, that's good. I'm good. Uh, so I then like kind of stuck with it where I'm like, I want to be informed about what's going on. I'll, I'll see, I'll watch results. I'll, I'll watch videos. And, and I think then it's kind of been, you know, always in the background. Like I want to, I want to, Especially when, you know, the rise of like making videos on YouTube and seeing people's opinions and seeing like, you know, charismatic people like yourself or Matthew or OSW reviews, whatever it is, you're like, oh, I can stay informed this way. And that like really helped that like, I think that helps lapsing fans in general, having this like easy to access uh, updates about what's going on in the world. So you don't have to tune into every single like 87 hours of programming that happen every week. We're happy to do that. We're, it's, 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 right. a, it's, we're the fourth emergency service. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who you ask.
Uh, we've got to dip into the YouTube stuff. We're going to do it in just a second, but we need your second match for your DVD, sir. So we've had okay. Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy from SummerSlam 01. What's your next one going to be, Matt? So my second match is kind of complicated because I don't know whether it would count as one whole match or I have to pick from it. But my second match would be Booker T versus Chris Benoit, best of seven. You know, there had been a tremendous amount of respect that both men had for each other. And it seems that respect is starting to wither away. It's become quite a heated dispute between both men. And oh, runs him over. Both men are, I really think, evenly matched. The quickness maybe with Booker T. The all-out wrestling style, obviously, Benoit has the edge there. Maybe the power edge with Booker T. But I think really the best of seven was the right way to settle it. Am I picking one particular one, or is it just like the like the the, the whole body of it? What would you say? Okay, <laughs> I mean, is that fall? I would. I mean, I'm happy for you to take like the the general premise of the best of seven. Because mm-hmm. if I'm reflecting on them, this was the this was the WCW best of seven, yes. and it was on the whole they were good to great matches. I love the and and to me it's dead simple long term storytelling. Like yeah. it's the simplest form of long. I am a bugger for long term storytelling. Give me a story over twelve months and just pepper it throughout. Don't give me everything in one go. I want a tapas of wrestling based mm-hmm. banter. <laughs> I don't want a big dinner. I want tapas for 12 yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. And this is the most basic of all stories that you can tell, which is Booker T and Chris Benoit. It was for the TV title in WCW. And it was, okay, whoever wins the most out of these seven becomes the TV champion. It was designed to make the best wrestler the champion. Uh, I, I don't mean to uh, to actually you, but... Um, oh, no, was I wrong? Was it US title? Uh, no, no, you're, you're, you're technically right. And, and in my memory, I was like, oh, yeah, they're going for the title. Oh, well, it was probably the TV title. No, they're going for the right to face Fit Finley, who oh, was the God. TV champion. <laughs> Okay, what a come down. Not, not nothing Sorry, against fin- Finley, but it's Finley going, actually, <laughs> <laughs> they were fighting to fight me, and I love to fight. <laughs> and I even forget because when I when I was re-watching some of these matches, like they, they keep saying Fit Finley's the, the, the champion, but they never show him. He doesn't show up, he doesn't like get involved in the matches. So I don't remember if this was like classic, like you know, black and green trunk fit Finley, or this is like pseudo Mad Max leather jacket and like creepy uh uh Kentucky waterfall uh, fit Finley from like 96. Uh, so I don't remember what fit looked like back then, but yeah, it was, it was to face him. And I'm just like, you get these two really amazing workers. And it's like, again, nothing against Finley, but it is like a bit of a contrast between Chris Benoit or Booker T and you're against fit Finley in 97. Like fit Finley was awesome. Like later on in WWF specifically, because it's like, oh, he's this ass kicking Irishman. And, I, I don't recall if he what his sort of um, appeal was in WCW. I just don't remember. You know, I seem to remember like he he went through a period in WCW where I think he was called the Belfast Brawler, like they, or the Belfast Bruiser. Um, I, I, it's one of them where it was. 
they never quite, I think they wanted to make Finley a thing. I don't know whether they did. <laughs> they, they, they knew how. And the, the sheer joy in Fit Finley is he's a phenomenal wrestler. No, he is. He Let is. the guy wrestle. But, you know, you don't need too many accoutrements to that. You but don't. With, with Booker T. Yeah. And it's, it's funny how everybody remembers the best of seven, but they don't properly remember what they were fighting for. <laughs> which was, what are we fighting for? What we want is a fit worth fighting for. <laughs> um, they, they, like Mulan, they were fighting for the love of a man. Um, <laughs> they were fighting for the love of Finley. And, and it's lost in the annals of time. I couldn't even tell you whether who won the best seven, whether they were successful or not. I don't know. Because I just uh, in my head, I just went, oh, it was for the TV title. And that's all of it. <laughs> But what is it? So, so you, so what is it about this particular series, uh, this best of seven that that is so prominent that stays with you today? So when I would, I would tune to uh, Raw for mostly storyline stuff, like wrestling. If it's good, it's bad. It's like whatever. I was so, you know, I've been with the characters enough that I was like, oh yeah, I want to see what happens with like this guy or that guy. But when I turned to WCW, I almost would do it when I'm bored with WWF, whatever was happening at the time. It's a match going on. I don't care. I'll flip over to, to Nitro. And that, since I don't know the characters, I had to be pulled in by the actual wrestling. And if the NWO is on the screen, then like, yeah, you're not going to get really any, anything uh, really uh, of, of any substantial worth either wrestling or maybe even storyline. But when there was undercard stuff going on, whether it was cruiserweights and especially if it was Booker T, um, I think at this point, like maybe he was not in Harlem heat anymore because obviously he's getting the singles push here, mm. but um, him against Benoit. Now I'd seen Benoit once or twice, but it was here where I'm just like, you know, it, it's, it's, obviously a bit of the tragedy of, of Benoit. Cause you look back on his stuff and you're like, Oh my God, you were so good. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a fan or I was made a fan due to this match and this match and like the best of seven, I was made a fan of both guys. Now I'd seen Harlem heat tags before and I always liked Harlem heat. I'm like, yeah, they're cool. And you, and the other thing you'd look at with Harlem Heat, you're like, yeah, Booker T's the, the best one. Booker T here. is Harlem so, Heat. <laughs> he is he is the Harlem and he is the Heat. <laughs> then there's Stevie Ray. Anyway, um, so the best of seven in my mind also, like at that age, I was like, oh, these must be like super awesome wrestlers. Like why else would they be doing a best seven? Again, because I'm not tuning into it every single week but i'm just like this must be a really good match why else would you have this much confidence in these two guys to make them have this long running like feud yeah i mean we say feud but it wasn't like it was heated it's not like they had promos where they're like it's like hey like chris benoit i did i did this or like i destroyed your car or, or whatever it was it was just which one of us can do this and which one of us can get the glorious tv title um so when I would watch it, when I watch it again, I'm just like, oh my God, triple, triple German suplexes. Had never seen that before. And uh, the Harlem hangover. And I'm just ex- being exposed to these moves for the first time. And you're watching them again and again. And while the matches are mostly similar, they're still really entertaining. They're not much more than like 12, 15 minutes. So they never get like, you know, boring or anything. And 
the culmination of it where they were going to have their last match and uh, the, the, the deciding one. And it was like on a random thunder taping. And thus, uh, I think this is when Bret Hart like kind of got inserted into a bit. This part makes no sense. So they're coming out for their, the, the final match of the series. And Bret Hart and uh, Eric Bischoff are sitting on like a car that's parked near the entranceway. And they're like hidden. They can't really see the ring where they are. And they're not like, I guess there's a TV next to them, but they have the first possible view of the match. And I'm just like, why would you be sitting there? Why aren't you sitting like over there? Whatever. So Bret Hart gets involved and uh, hits Booker T with like a chair. And then he's like, yo, Benoit, you can get the pin. And Benoit's like, no, I don't want to join the NWO. And just like, let's. Uh, tells tells the ref like oh just like count me out disqualify me so Booker T wins but that's such a lame ending to the feud that they extended it for one more match which was at uh, the Great American Bash uh, 98 yes 98 and that was the last match of that was the actual last match and then Booker T wins um, and I thought that was watching that again. I was like, oh, what a great little way to extend it to the pay-per-view. Because, you know, the, the the whole point of this series, why would you not have the final at a pay-per-view? That makes more sense. Uh, and they kind of made it seem like it wasn't going to be. But then like, oh, no, look, we're going to do it here. I'm like, okay, cool. That's that's a that's a cool way to inject a little bit of a uh, of a storyline thing into it. Other, otherwise, which is like a really just tight series of matches, but there's not much going on around it. So just everything that they do, I became such a fan of, of both guys. Um, and because there was so much of it, you know, seven matches, I'd always be able to catch a couple. Uh, I didn't, at the time it was going on, I, you know, I, I, I did not get Thunder normally again, Canada, thank you. Um, but I would get the Nitro ones. I would get the, uh, I think there was two matches on Saturday night and I was able to, to watch those. And it was like, is anything that they're doing in these matches like astounding? No, but that's kind of almost the beauty of it that they're able to make like consistent matches without like, you know, and this one is a ladder match and this one is like a, a false count anywhere. They were all just straightforward wrestling matches and all of them I would watch again. Now, do I get all of these matches on the desert island or do I get one? I'm happy for you to I'm happy to break the the system and just say I'm happy to Thank have you. this as a concept on the desert island. Uh, I am intrigued to know because you became a lapsed fan as we discussed in 2005 or around mm. that time. Did you catch the best of seven remix that Smackdown did that very year? I I remembered watching maybe one or two, but I have not gone back and watched it since. So I don't really know how that was received or wh where that ultimately led to. It was a really, really decent a collection of matches. Unfortunately, hampered by the fact that midway through, Booker T got injured. Oh, no. So Randy Orton subbed in for the last couple of matches. Oh, and it was they made the best of a bad situation. So they had Booker T on commentary for Randy Orton's matches. Interesting. Uh, okay. It was a, it was an unfortunate situation that they sort of made the best of and got and and sort of creaked like squeaked to the finish line with with the help of Randy Orton playing a uh, a, a de facto uh, Booker T through it. But it was I, I appreciate the fact that in, in WWE, which is not always the most 
wrestling-y wrestling show if they could what eliminate wrestling. I don't why well, I know, right? I mean, <laughs> the company that tried to ban the word wrestling. I, I mean, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. But a company that has always prided itself on trying to be sports entertainment to allow Benoit and Booker T to, to rekindle that best of seven energy. And they did it again. I think they did. I think John Cena and Booker T did a best of seven. Really? Well. Yeah. Like they, they somehow they, they got like for, for all their issues with wrestling, they, they got this weird sort of uh, semi on when it came to a, a best of seven. <laughs> Like something about the number seven. It's quite a sexy number. I'll be honest with you. Although when you really think about it, it is a lot of matches. I always think a best of five is probably fine. But I feel Uh, like if you're doing it week by week, you're telling them. And it's again, that long story that you're you're playing a long game and you have one guy win one week, one guy win another. You can, that's, that's like um, two months worth of content for a feud. Easy. Done. I mean, it's like basically that's just like, Oh, it's, Mortal Kombat tournament and just you know it, putting some actual rules like a structure into a feud by putting a best of seven is interesting like has I, you know since since I you know don't catch up on absolutely everything how, what was the last time that you remember like a a best of series happening like in, oh, in any company a best oh I mean the uh, the thing that springs to mind is that uh, very briefly many moons ago TNA wrestling did like a, a top 10 system where you basically had to work your way through the top 10 and, and, and whoever was number one each week got a shot of the world title or the world champion. Right. And they had this thing with Kurt Angle, who was on this sort of career comeback. And he said, I'm going to beat everyone in the top 10 to earn a title shot. And it, and it's funny that you mentioned Mortal Kombat there because it was like Kurt Angle looked at that, that, Arcade that, ladder. The arcade ladder with the metaphorical yeah. Shang Tsung at the top. And 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 choose week, your destiny. That was it. And like week by week, just just beat different people. But here's the thing, right? Great idea. Great idea. Here's a guy that goes, I don't know how much time I've got left. I'm gonna prove myself. I'm gonna be every one of these MFers in the top 10 to prove that I'm worth it. I'm gonna start at number 10. I'm gonna work my way up. 10, bang, nine, bang, eight, bang, seven, bang. Oh, Vince Russo has entered the chat. <laughs> he's decided the top 10 thing isn't working, so he's just going to scrap it. But Bat Angle was doing a thing. I was what? at seven. He, said he was doing so well. So and Angle ended up in a triple threat to earn the title match. But they just threw it away. I was like, that was great. I what? wanted to see Kurt Angle's like CG. I wanted wanted to see the credits. I wanted to see him drop AJ Styles off a mountain, then do a really creepy smile to the camera. (laughs) Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many people will be here uh, knowing you from uh, your exploits on YouTube, uh, the the passion that you have uh, for, for, for beat-em-ups and video games in general through the What Happens series. That's certainly how I got to know uh, the, the incredible body of work that you do. Um, you, but to, to get to where you are today, we won't linger on the past, but uh, how did you find moving away from being part of like an established uh, a, a group to doing your own thing? How was that process for you? Um, well, like both kind of overlapped, you know, for uh, a couple of years. So it was kind of more or less a, a smooth transition. But even then, like well before then, like, you know, the advent of of YouTube in like 2006, 2007, I was making like all kinds of things. Like I was putting up like live action skits. I was making anime music videos as you do. Um, so I was kind of putting out anything that I was just having fun doing, like it would always be something different. And like one thing in particular kind of hit and, you know, in your mind, you go, well, let me do more of the thing that hit. And that kind of like spun off into its own completely different thing. But my main thing was always, well, I don't want to do the same thing all the time, but you know, that's, that's the path that I was kind of, it was kind of put forth for me, but in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do other because, you know, I, I get a little restless if, if I'm not, um, uh, you know, extending my creativity in other ways. And that's kind of what I'm doing now where, you know, I, I am producing, uh, actual like video games and I am, you know, uh, collaborating with this person over here or doing a podcast like right now, or, you know, making a documentary on a certain video game, making a uh, retrospective or whatever. I like having, you know, the, there, is a, there is a focus there. Um, I was doing Twitch as well, like up until like two years ago. And then I was like, I can't keep up with this. I can't be doing all these things and live streaming. And I just had to drop like live streaming because when you stream, you need to have some type of consistent schedule you know, you have to do it every so often at the very least. And like, you know, even though I was having fun with that, I recognize something has to, has, I have to um, kind of uh, rear back and, and look, well, what, what, what am I doing that is taking up some time? And, you know, I, I want to focus less on and like, like streaming was, was it. So I had to recognize that like, you know, I'm, I'm stretching myself too thin and uh, making games is obviously uh, a big priority, but that's more of a long-term thing. And like, even now, even though I have a game that's out, there's like two other sort of irons on the fire right now in terms of games. So like, I want to, 
you know, be fluid enough that I can put forth energy towards that. So um, that's another big thing that if you are making stuff online, if you are being creative, it's like, if you feel yourself being overwhelmed, do not be afraid to look at everything that you're doing and pick something that you might have to drop or come back to later at the very least. So, so you can focus, but otherwise that transition has been like, you know, very uh, smooth for the most part. And I, I definitely have to say I'm a, a bit, a lot more happier now doing what I'm doing where I have a lot of options open to me. I mean, talk about um, the, the, the working in the games industry because that must feel really special to go from uh, where you began to a point where, you, as you say there, you, you say it's super casual, but it must feel really cool to go, oh, well, I've got a game out. <laughs> first time I held the, the game, The Takeover, it was like on a Switch and it was like the first time I'd, I'd you know, uh, go hands-on. Like I was playing uh, uh, builds of that game on Steam for months, if not a year or two, the two years or more actually, now that I think about it. And like, that's, you know, still really cool. But when you grow up, you know, playing, you know, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and then PlayStation, PlayStation, and you go up and you have that, um, that progression you know, consoles really make an impression that way, you know, your Christmases, getting your your consoles, whatever it is, and then having a game that you had input on that, you know, I wrote the story in and I directed the voice acting and having it in the palm here or in like, you know, uh, holding the controller and seeing on a TV screen is a little bit different than like being on the computer that you're on every day to begin with. So it, it, it's kind of a different feeling and like soon enough, uh, there's going to be like a physical like cartridge version of that game that I think is like the last little puzzle piece where you can go, wow, this is a real thing that happened. Um, and yeah, when I started testing games like, you know, 12 years ago, I mean, you're, you're always kind of told and you think, well, if I start testing games, then I'll certainly for sure get into the position of making one and it does not always um, uh, work out that way. That's, that's, that's not the easiest transition to make going from testing games into actually getting into making them is, 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 is a little difficult if you stay within that company because they do put, unfortunately, not every company obviously, but they do put certain walls to be like, well, no, you're over here. You, you can't really go over there. Um, and that's something that I think was probably more prevalent, like, you know, 10 years ago. Now it's a, maybe a bit easier, but um, it's still not a battle to go from testing to making games within the same company. It's, it's, it's a hard uh, fence to, to jump, unfortunately. Because you're kind, of on, you're kind of on their time frame, aren't you? Because I've got a, a, yeah. a friend who's in a similar situation. They've had a game that's been uh, ready and, and, and cooked and waiting to be eaten for about a year and a half now. And the, and the <laughs> developers are like, well, the, the publishers are like, well, hold tight. We, we kind of don't want to release this yet because this is happening. And it's almost like finding that right time. And that is a, that is a constant battle. But regardless of that, um, the takeover uh, is available. And the, the be when I played it, the best way to describe, uh, and, and it seems such a cliche, but it's so true, I think, because knowing, knowing you and knowing what you love, it is such a love letter to Final Fight, to Streets of Rage. Uh, to that genre of games. Um, it, it truly is. When do you remember that it was this genre in particular uh, that you fell in love with? Um, I think I have a video on my channel where um, it's called Why I Like the Thing and the subject is Final Fight. 
and I have a little like uh, animated story of of why that came to be. And it was uh, I was invited to like a kid that I didn't know very well, but it was his birthday party and his family was rich and his family rented out an arcade hall for just his, him and his friends to play on all the arcade machines that were set to free play. So you wouldn't have to put in quarters, like you would just press start and you would just continue over and over. And that was the first time I played Final Fight. And that was just the, the game that I played the entire time. I think they rented it for about an hour um, so I just tried playing it and uh, beating it there. And by the time time was up, I had to go. So I didn't get to, to beat it. And then like, I want to say a year or two later, I go to another kid's birthday party. I think it was a different kid. And he had Final Fight for the the SNES. And I was like, what? How did, like that was when the arcade games being ported to consoles kind of made sense to me because it was just, it was all video games before then. I didn't know what, arcade games were versus console games because I didn't get to go to arcades much at all. There wasn't really any in where I grew up. So when I saw the like, oh, the graphics are like, you know, it's not a, it's not an amazing port at all. There's lots of missing features and stuff in Final Fight Super Nintendo, but I was just like, wow, like it's the same type of graphics and it's the, it's really similar sound effects. And I was just kind of blown away at that like sort of stark contrast between you get to go to an arcade over there but like you can also have it in the home and then later of course stuff like street fighter 2 and mortal kombat and all that uh kind of spun off on that and ever since then and especially when beat-em-ups went away for a while like these aren't like a thing anymore because they were meant to be arcade quarter munchers that's all that they were designed to be so when arcades fell out of favor so did beat-em-ups and now that they're kind of getting this resurgence where people are like, well, remember this genre? It's like, yeah, there's still work to do to make them a bit more engaging than just stealing money from you. Um, so like it, it, it's, it's hiatus kind of made me love them more. And that's kind of what drew me to the takeover when I saw it on Steam, when it was only like a demo. I was like, oh yeah. Uh, Cause lots of people like, you know, games too. Uh, invoke stuff that they remember and so many of them are like you know unfortunately just not there like they're either the person didn't have that much experience making games and this is their first try but uh the guy that's primarily behind the takeover uh Antonis he uh he already had experience because he worked on um Sega uh Sonic All-Stars Racing uh, the the first release of that of that series uh, for that company uh, Sumo Digital, and then like struck it out on his own. So already had like you know a decent base uh, into making games. So when I played uh, the the first version of the Takeover and it was like really solid, but there wasn't a lot there. But it was just fun to hit things, which is the main thing of any beat 'em up. If I if I'm going to be punching the same thing over and over, it has to be immediate and fun and impactful. So once I played that first demo, I was like, okay, I want to like help this out in any way I could. So I said, hey, if you need free bug testing, I'll just play this in my in my spare time and I'll let you know if I find anything. And it kind of just uh, evolved from there. It must be amazing now to be able to look back on that as a product. And if you could, if you had your time again to, to, to do that product again and to, to, to get involved in that way, is there anything you do differently? Yeah, there's there's certainly a few things. Um, you know, we were kind of like, oh, we'll save time by making the story as you're making the game. 
um, because then we won't have to wait. Like as levels are being built, I'm kind of like piecing together what a story would be. And then, okay, these levels are kind of finalized, but there's still some later on that are not, but I'll contact an artist now and then I'll start working with them to make cut scenes now. But then ultimately I'm not the main decision maker it's 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 like i mentioned before and he'll decide well i want to change this now oh well we made a cut scene already and now that contrasts with that and you have to decide whether that's worth it to go back and change art that's already been done finalized and you're going to have to you know pay someone again to do some changes uh because they already got paid once now they have to work again and i want to be fair to everybody so you have to make those decisions where like, well, yeah, should we cut this? Should we not then? Because this doesn't work with that anymore. So now I would learn. And if we're going to continue to make more games to each other, wait, wait until he is, he is happy with everything. Then build the supplementary stuff like cutscenes that can be made like, you know, separately. So I'd definitely do that. Um, I would probably, uh, there's one other thing um, that, I, that I've thought about, like, well, yeah, I have to do that. Is like, you know, for a beat em up, I, I think it's nice to have like a little driving force on a story, but um, you don't have to try to make the most compelling thing in, in the world because not too many people are, that, or they just kind of want to play and, and, and push buttons. So you can skip all the cutscenes in the game, but you know, I think brevity is, is important. So um, if I was to make a sequel, I, I'd cut back on the story just a little bit. It would also just, you know, save in costs, um, uh, that type of thing. And then I would say it's like maybe hire, maybe actually hire one other person to help in the programming uh, that Antonis does because he's a one-man show. He did like almost everything. I just did the the cutscene stuff and and I helped like gather other people to contribute to music and things. So I'd say like he needs some type of assistant or someone to handle tasks that he otherwise um, could focus on other stuff. So uh, a bit more delegation there, like hire a, another helping hand would certainly be something I would tell past Matt to do. A lot of people will know you for the What Happened series. Um, that is certainly how I discovered your amazing work. Um, and when it comes to the stuff that you do on videos, you you really cut a pace, to, to quote Cody Rhodes, because the, the, the stuff that you churn you, you chur out, you create content very rapidly. Now, I know it isn't a case of just this. It happens within an hour, then you send it. I know the, the passion and the energy that goes into it. So if you wouldn't mind humoring us, talk us through uh, the process of building an episode of what happened from the very beginning. Like, how does that go? Um, that I, I, I do have an answer prepared for this because I've always kind of been interested in, in talking about it. One of my favorite AVGN videos is when he says, this is how I make an episode. It was like a 20 minute episode where he takes you through the process. And I always find that kind of fascinating. So I, I have a list of games that either will pop into my head. I'm like, yeah, there's something messed up about that game. Or I'll go into the comments of, of episodes that are new and see if anyone suggested anything that I haven't thought about. Or I just don't even know about. And then I research a little bit, like did, did anything weird go on with that game? Um, so I have this 
huge list. I have, thankfully, thankfully, it's still very large. Um, I'm going to be worried if one day I look at the list and there's like three games left. I'm like, well, that's end the end day. of me. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Just a cane comes and pulls me off. <laughs> um, so I have like a list of like 50 something odd things like, and not all of them could be episodes, but I know that, you know, there's, there's something off about them. So I'll look at the list and I'll just not more or less pick one at random, but I just get a feeling like, oh, I want to talk about um, APB, the crime uh, MMO game that that was apparently had a hundred million dollars put into it and it made like zero back. Um, so I'll look that up and then I'll do a cursory search of it. I'm like, oh, there, there's something here. I see an interview with a person. I'll see... Uh, a couple of other sites maybe saying like what happened like you know like wh what went wrong with whatever so I'll, I'll see if there's anything like that for a game and if there's not then it let's say there's no information like let's say there's no interviews with anyone well then sometimes if I really want to get to the nitty-gritty I'll go into the game's credits and then I'll just search for anybody of a senior position are they on Twitter they are when was the last time they used their Twitter? A, a few days ago. Perfect. Because a lot of the time we'll open up a Twitter and then they never use it. So it's not that useful. Um, so I'll, um, for example, I think um, when I did an episode on Turok Evolution, I found like the senior concept artist and he was on Twitter and he was active on there. I said, hey, there's not much that I can find about Turok Evolution. Would you mind just answering a couple of like really general questions? If, do you want me to use your name? Do you not want me to use your name? Would you rather me quote you or just generalize what you say? And I'll just, thankfully, like when I do find someone, I think there's only one time ever where a person said like, eh, I'm not really comfortable doing this, like best of luck though. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Um, so once I have that, that's usually enough. Like if I can ask a person maybe five generalized questions, like what went right? What went wrong? What was the genesis of the project? Blah, blah, blah. That's usually enough to make an episode around to like build around quotes uh, along with the general information that you can find out about the game. Uh, looking up the sales of the game is also, cause not depending on how old the game is, like if it's like from 2000, 2002, 2003, it's hard to get sales data. Um, because it wasn't really tracked that well. Um, so that paints a picture for a particular game. Um, but when I started this series, the first thing that popped in my head is like, what do I want to do? BMX triple X. That's, that's, that's the first episode because I was like, I will always remember how Dave Mira RIP, uh, there was a lawsuit involved and then it didn't have any sex in the games before. Then they were like, well, we got to get tits in it. Now let's film some stuff at a strip club and let's, and for some reason the GameCube version was not censored, but the PlayStation two one was, but mom, you say, uh, the GameCube <laughs> is for like idiot babies. Why is that version censored? And my people, big dick playstation <laughs> is is censored it makes no sense so i just knew in my head ever ever since like 2004 2005 whenever the game was released that that game was messed up so let me look into that and lots of little juicy bits about it so that was kind of like 
I, I usually do tend to go by memory. Obviously, you get games nowadays where everyone's yelling at me, do an episode on Balan Wonder World. Everyone eats it. It's terrible. I'm like, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But uh, first, I want to talk about like Primal Rage 2. <laughs> uh, that's more important. That's more pressing, you know? I, what I love is the trip, the BMX triple X one, just like it resonated with me because in, in my <laughs> in my previous life, I worked for uh, electronics boutique that became game, which is the video game retailer in the UK. Right. And I swear to God, that game came out within a month. We had a in the middle of the store, the one that I was at the uh, the Worcester branch and in the middle of the store, there was a pre-owned tray where like we buy the pre-owned games, we'd have to take all the games out and we stack them in there. BMX X that thick of people bringing the games back. So probably about 12, 13, 14 copies of BMX X, multiple formats. So people <laughs> have bought it going, whoa, breets, here we go. And, and then went, this is just a crap Dave Mirror game, rest in peace. This is just a crap Dave Mirror game, bringing it back. And and so to, to find the video that you did where you talk about it and, and, and break down, wow, this was a hot mess. It's a deep joy. But it is as, it is as straightforward as reaching out to these people, isn't it? And just saying, do you, do you fancy coming and having a chat about it? Because I imagine for some of them, it's quite a cathartic experience, isn't it? Yeah, um, God, uh, there is a, someone that I spoke to that formerly worked at Capcom and they're like, this was such a mess. I have to talk about it. Like we tried our best to make this a thing, but our hands were tied and, 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 you know, some, something akin to that. And then, you know, I, I do try to do, um, uh, more positive episodes, not even what happened, but like, I do find like, oh, I talked about the Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction that was on the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox, which was like the really fun open world Hulk game. And I really wanted to talk to a former developer that worked on that. Just say, what did you want to do? And like, you know, the game was great. And what do you think was a big, like, you know, high point of that? So that guy was like, that guy gave me tons of um, uh, talking about. They, they're, his, I mean, uh, you know, not as nearly as popular as a what happened episode, but still like people that watched it were like really fascinated because their original idea was like, instead of making a follow-up Hulk game, they wanted to make an Avengers game using the same format, an open world Avengers game where you could be Captain America, Hulk, Quicksilver. He was really adamant about Quicksilver. He's like, I know how to make super speed work in a game. I was going to do it and we wanted to do it, but then we were bought by Activision and, we couldn't do it anymore. And, but that he was really passionate about that. He was just well into Quicksilver. Um, but j just to finish off on what happens, cause it didn't even get to like the, um, the main thing is that like, you know, I take all this information, make, make a really shitty script. It's awful. But I put down all the main points, then I'll go through it again. I'll actually, you know, sp uh, spice it up. Uh, make it readable. Maybe my, depending on if she has time, my wife will edit it to make it sound like a human wrote it a little bit. She'll just help my punctuation, my grammar a little bit. And um, then it gets sent off to an editor. I do my voiceover. Uh, then I'll highlight the script with any particular edits I want to see. Like, oh, please insert a clip of Limp Biscuit saying 1999, baby. Uh, because 
it, the game took the game's development started in 1999. So I always have to use a limp biscuit quote. Um, so that that'll be like another, I don't know, and a, a few hours more work of you know I'm trying to help the editor out. So if I can find the clips myself, I'll like you know link to it there in Google Docs. They'll edit it over the course of like I'd give or take a week. Um, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, then they'll send it back and uh, the first cut. And then I'll usually have alterations, uh, suggestions, tweaks. Um, sometimes if they're really, really minor, I'll do them myself. I don't consider myself a very like talented editor. I can, I can edit basic stuff, but I just, if I sat at a timeline with a voiceover, I don't know. I don't know how to fill it up. My mind just doesn't work like that. I just, I, I just get like flummoxed. I'm just like, what am I, what am I supposed to put here? I know what I want when I see it, when it's, when it's done well, but in terms of putting it together myself, I, I just don't think I, I have the aptitude for it. Um, but if there's little minor things, I can insert stuff. I can futz with the music, uh, you know, so I'll do little alterations like that. Sometimes I need to do it. Sometimes I don't. Um, and then depending on the uh, complexity of those little alterations, maybe that'll be the, the Patreon early version of that video. And if there's time, if there's, if that'll, that'll be the final video, but if there's just a thing, or in the case of video I'm working on right now, a new bit of news dropped just now while it was being edited. So I'm like, oh, let me, let me get that in there at the last second, because that'll save me at least 50 comments. If, if I get that in there and why didn't you add this bit? So um, that usually, I, I would say overall, it's like two weeks worth of work, like one week to get all the information, do the script, another week for it to be, to be edited. And of course, like you said, I'm, I put out a lot of these because I do do them way in advance. Like I'll do three scripts in a row uh, and then just have them. And then like, I'll do the other, the next three, once those are kind of, you know, running to the end of the, of the third one. So, um, I'm still having lots of fun doing it, but I do want, like, I, my overall goal is to like put out less of them, like maybe two a month rather than four a month, just so I have a bit more breathing room in between. So it's not like, you know, kind of constant and, um, you know, you can only do that by growing the channel a bit more every month. Uh, so then you have that bit of breathing room. Once, once you start putting videos out weekly, I kind of feel like, oh, geez, I, I need a little bit of a break. But YouTube analytics says I can't have a break. And sometimes you have to think outside what, what all the green and red arrows are telling you to do when you open up your YouTube What is it that keeps you motivated? Because as you say, at the moment, with the way things are with uh, the the almighty YouTube algorithm, you have to keep putting content out there until you get to a point where you can relax a little bit. But what keeps you motivated? Um, well, when I mentioned that list of games, there's like, I'd say maybe half of them, maybe maybe a little less than half their games that just, I just really want to talk about. Like it's a personal game that I either played myself growing up or I just have the drive to like, oh, it was Primal Rage 2 was definitely one uh, that I, I put a video out just recently. I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about that. Um, 
and there's other, there's the other games that are like, oh, I don't know much about that. I'll get to those when I can. But that 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 driving force is those games. I'm like, oh, like uh, I think what was it? Uh, Street Fighter the movie, the game. I'm like, oh, that story is so incredible. I just find it personally fascinating. So as long as those games are always in the mix, or if someone even tells me about one that has a really, really interesting story, um, that's just crazy, like lawsuits involved, actors walking off the set, and that extends to movies as well. I also I also will tackle the occasional movie, usually video game movies, like, oh, Double, Double Dragon was, was a messed up thing. So was Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So was Wing Commander. So was Super Mario Brothers. Um, and like even non-video game movies, like I find movie stories also similarly fascinating to game ones uh, for, you know, different reasons most of the time but um as, as long as that's in there and also i did with with uh jay from osws i did uh the rise and fall of wcw mm-hmm. which was really fun to do um there's only so many wrestling promotions you can do do i want to talk about xfw or whatever yes whatever you do. That, do i know <laughs> I don't think I never watched it. So I, I don't know if I want to talk about it, but like that that's certainly open to us as well. So I was going to ask you whether or not you would do more wrestling, wrestling, what happens, but I guess it depends on how invested you are in, in, in the, the I mean, there, you definitely could, you could, you know, the, the number one thing is, well, now that you talked about WCW, you have to talk about ECW. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've watched, you know, ECW. I could, I could definitely do it, but just right now, it's like I have that list of like there's still that game I really want to talk mm. about. So I'll I'll the the subjects that are I'm a little less knowledgeable about or I don't have like a personal connection with, like I you have to mix it up if you if you do all the ones you really want to talk about all in a row, then you're not going to enjoy yourself talking about the ones that you know you're you don't have a, a vested interest in. So I do want to keep them like locked and loaded somewhere in the back and use them when, when I feel like uh, using them. So I, I like, I do want to do another wrestling promotion as well. Like Lucha Underground is one that people have mentioned, like what happened to that? I'm like, yeah, there is, there's definitely a story uh, about there. Uh, so I, I definitely want to return, return to the ring as it were. How do you spend your downtime? Uh, I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> This is a common thing. A lot of people go, oh, I don't have because you feel time. you feel stupid not recording what you're doing. That that's the thing. You feel guilty if I'm playing a game for fun. Mm. Uh, you're like, well, I I I am being trained to monetize this. Why why would I do this and not like you know uh, show it to other people? And I I think that was a problem like maybe even like a year ago where I was like, Oh no, I can't. Let me, let me set up the capture card. Let me take out my mic and it's stupid not to do this, but you know, it's it's only within the last year. Yeah. Strangely, it's only within 2020 where I'm like, I need, I, I, I need to be working to keep myself, you know, busy, but at the same time, I, I also need a break. Because and... you can't be on all the time. No. Because a lot of people go, oh, it's just playing games. Well, it's not. Like, and, and you said, like, you stopped doing the Twitch stuff a couple of years ago. And it's it's different. It's not, you don't relax when you're when you're recording stuff, when you're on, because regardless of, of you're not a persona or anything like that, but you are on. Yeah. And it's There's nice just to sure. play the games when you're off. 
and that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. But I, I guess the main thing, like, you know, for, for 2020 is certainly different, but, uh, you know, just watching movies with, with my wife, uh, we do play Dead by Daylight with friends uh, that, that live in, um, like, the, the States. So that, that keeps us kind of going. And I did not, like, record any of that just because you need to, you need to separate it. But, you know, that essentially that's, that's, that's all we did for most of the year before, you know, 2020 and COVID and everything, we, we would travel, we would travel quite a bit just, just for fun, sometimes for, for business, like, oh, there's a con happening, but, you know, we'll stay a few extra days just to, you know, see the sites or whatever. We, we used to go to LA like once, maybe twice a year just because there's so much to do in, in California in general. Like, you know, it's California has the population of the entirety of Canada that like, that's how much there is of it and to see and do. And like, you know, that's what we would do. We would look forward to that, you know, every, you know, second month we we'd try to go on a trip because we can also write it off as a business expense, but um you know, couldn't, couldn't really do that in 2020, unfortunately. So you had to double down on movie watching. Uh, like we binged a lot of series that we were kind of ignoring. Like I was like, yeah, Mandalorian. Sure. I, you know, uh, I'm a very, very casual star Wars fan, but then, and my wife even more so. And then I said, well, everyone really, you know, says it's good. I love, I love Pedro Pascal. Love the man. I know he's not like in it, in it. Like he always has a helmet on almost all the time, but can we give it a shot? And she's like, okay. And then we both really enjoyed Mandalorian and we both really enjoyed WandaVision and, and all these shows. So we kind of doubled down on that uh, pretty hard, but that's basically what I do when I'm not uh, recording uh, for, for the internets. Where is somewhere that you and your wife have traveled that has stayed in your soul? I proposed to her on a beach in Cuba uh, so usually a beach anywhere is, is good. We're good. We're good for that. I think our, our calmest moments are just like, yeah, sitting, sitting on a, a sunny beach with a book, uh, with a book, not with our phones, not with a switch with, with a book is really good. And that's not something we've, we've had for a while. We were going to have a trip in March of 2020. Like we had already booked it and planned it. And then I had to put the kibosh on that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's been a good while. Um, we also had a fantastic time where we stayed in an Airbnb up in the mountains in Topanga Canyons in California, which is a beautiful mountain range. We went to a vineyard that had animals like llamas and giraffes, and you're on like a like a truck and you're given all this wine and here's some cheeses. Oh, so much fun. Um, and like, we have this, this photo when we're on top of the mountain, you could see like this entire valley. It was, it was, it was a really fun time. And we got to see friends on that trip that live in California as well. So that was like, uh, we, we talk about that trip often because it was a windy mountain pass to get there where it's one car wide and they've nailed mirrors into trees. So you can even see a car is coming and you're just going slow as shit because the railing is right there. And sometimes there's no railing at all. And we're just like, this is fun. This is fun. Um, but we will never forget it. My mom always said, if something goes right, you won't remember it that much. But if something 
as long as no one gets hurt, as long as it's not too traumatic. But if something has got a little bit of air of stress, a little bit of danger, but you know nothing too bad, like you'll remember that forever. And she she's right. We remember that trip forever. But you know, we had one trip to uh, you know Boston. I don't remember what we did because we there wasn't a treacherous mountain pass. We had we didn't have to fight a Balrog <laughs> like you know like so so she she was right in that. So we'll always remember that 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 slightly dangerous trip we had to California. So amazing, amazing. Now we've got to get to your third and final match, sir. Before we do, I like to spring this on people because it's always interesting to see what their first reactions are. Sure. Uh, it's not bad, I promise. Um, <laughs> as well as taking three wrestling matches. You Those also... tweets that you did 10 <laughs> years ago. It's uh, I found a tweet from 2009. Um, <laughs> as well as uh, three wrestling matches, you can also take with you a movie, an album, and a luxury item. And it's always nice to see what the first reaction is to those three items. So if I was to say to you, you could take a movie with you, Matt, what the room. would it be? The room. I already <laughs> answered the room. Immediately the room. <laughs> the room, because it's unlike most movies, it's full bodied. It's yes. rich. It has it all. It's a comedy. It's a drama. It has action scenes. It has some titillation. Lots of boobs and lots of Tommy Wiseau ass. So it has everything. It's all the movies in one. So it's the perfect movie. That's a great shout. How about an album? So an album, I think Audio Slave's first album is very underrated. That's not that's not the one I'm saying. I debated this in my head. I'm really into Blackpink right now. I love my Korean pop stars. Um, but no, LIP Biscuit is always in the conversation. But I'm gonna have to go with Meteora by Lincoln Park. Oh, nice. Now, not hybrid theory. Hybrid theory, hybrid theory, a little has aged a little poorly here and there. But Meteora is, is I can, I can listen to that and be like, ah, like, whereas there's some songs in hybrid theory, it's like a little edgy, a little too 2000s where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fine. But uh, Meteora is kind of like, you know, uh, um, rap rock honed to a polished sword. There's a maturity to it that isn't present in, yes. in the others, isn't there? Like there's yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a mature energy. Uh, yeah. Out of these three, which one, if you can only listen to one uh, tonight, uh, Somewhere I Belong, Faint, or Breaking the Habit? <sighs> Even mm. though Faint is the, I think the shortest one, it's something like two minutes, 30 seconds. Faint's really good. The music video for Faint is really good, where it's like the yellow lights and the cameras are behind the band and they're showing mostly the crowd. I think that is faint. I'm not getting that wrong, am I? I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, God, that's going to be so embarrassing. All the Lincoln Park stands <laughs> are going to be after me. There's, whilst you're looking it up, I will say that if anybody wants to seek that, this is, it's a, it's a yes, phenomenal it album. It's a phenomenal album, and it's a, it's a very rich album. There's a, there's, there is something that isn't on the album that I discovered many years later, which is on YouTube, and it oh. is an isolated vocal recording of Chester singing Numb. And okay. it's just the vocal from Chester, and it's, it, it is 
it's so stirring. Mm. It's so stirring. Like just to hear just the vocal, none of the music, just his just his vocal range. Uh, right. God rest him. It was an, an, a powerful vocalist uh, was Chester Bellyfield for Linkin Park. Um, but yeah, I'm going to have to go with faint. It is, it is the music videos uh, mentioning, but I will pick actually another, like if, if you were to include this, I would go with this. Nobody's listening with the Japanese flute. Oh, that's so cool. That song. Ooh, beautiful. Beautiful. I, 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 every so often I'll be like, I need to listen to that song again. So I'll, I'll just throw it on. And then when it's over, I'm like, oh, it's over. <laughs> How about a luxury item, Matt? What we take? An air fryer. Amazing. When was I, the first time you bought one? Uh, uh, we bought one, I want to say like two years ago, saved our marriage. <laughs> um, it was hanging by a thread because it's, <laughs> Well, you put the fries in the oven. I'm not going to flip the fucking fries at, <laughs> at, at halfway. I'm not doing it. You do it. No, I want the fry. No, but the air fryer, air fryer is a mediator between two people. And air fryer just comes in. He's like, I got you, bro. I got you. You don't got to flip nothing. Put anything into me. I'll, I, it's going to take less time. All the fat drains out. We... We bought an air fryer for, for my father-in-law for his birthday. And it's like the first time he, because this is a guy that has everything, doesn't need anything. We got on the air fryer. He's like, ah, oh, it's fantastic. Thank you. So we're like, that's, that's a gift that keeps it. If I'm being able to watch wrestling DVDs on this desert island, I'm assuming there's some type of generator. I can, I just. We can figure some, that out. Yeah. Fish some shrimp out of the ocean, throw it in the air fryer. We're good. That's amazing. That's a good shout. Okay. Yeah. Your third and final match, sir. What are we going for? My third and final match is, I referenced it before, but it is Lucha Underground. And it is Mil Muerte versus Phoenix. Hang on a second. No, he Phoenix just bounced off of Mil Muerte. Even Phoenix doesn't know what to make of it. To the top of the pyramid. it's a quick match it's like me not quick but you know like it's it's middle of the road it's like 14 minutes but its highlight is twofold for me because when i started watching lucha underground season one they're positioning milmorte as like this undertaker big bad shao khan type guy no one can beat him but he you know to to crib a line from uh many people i listen to in wrestling he looks like a massive carny in in his in his first gear he has these dorky like pants on they're like gray they have like this um they have this terry funk s quality to them where he's, he's like it's like a circus tent and 
he, he the, the position would be this cool big bad guy, but it doesn't quite have the look. But when this match, the death match happens in season two, they're like, we need to glitz this guy up. They gave him the contact lenses. Uh, so he has like bright blue eyes that look otherworldly. They change his pants to be dark and uh, black and purple. And I'm like, yeah, this guy looks like a million bucks now. And once he 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 wins this match, they start giving him his ministry, uh, his ministry of darkness. He has these cronies around in skull masks. And I'm like, yeah, get fucking in. I'm so hyped because now they're they're positioning him in, in with all the 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 you know orbital stuff around him to make himself even cooler. And after he wins this match and he like he wins the the finale or whatever, he's the big bad guy at the end of season two. Then he gets his Shao Kahn throne and he just sits on it and watches the matches. And I'm like, this is the best wrestling promotion in the world. I am so upset, Matt, that it has taken 70 plus episodes of this show for us to talk about Lucha Underground. Really? No one picked even because listen, livid, mate, livid. There's lots of matches in this thing, but where it's like, oh, Ricochet slash, you know, Prince Puma is is like the hero of of the whole promotion. And he has all these crazy matches where everyone's doing all the Lucha stuff. There's, uh, you know, uh, John Morrison. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, Johnny Mundo stuff that he's doing. There's all these live matches. There's, there's all good stuff. And it's very entertaining. The Mac has uh, Brian Cage does some cool stuff. Like even Rey Mysterio comes in. All that stuff. But there's so much of it. It doesn't really stand out. But this death match, the highlight of it in terms of the physicality is that they have Dario, Dario Cueto's little office. And I and love like, the bones off of that. My God, the general manager, he's in a little shed next to the ring. <laughs> That's amazing. And he and just they, pops his head out the door and goes, fight again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's and then amazing. they cut to the the tele uh, uh, telenovela style like backstage stuff that's all like glitzy and has all, this, all these all these camera edits and it goes inside his his little office and there's smoke everywhere and the blinds and he's opening up blinds he's like oh yes very good matches and then when he pops his head out it looks so shit and when when a match is happening it, like it just has less much less glitz and glam but. The the not the not the high spot of the match, like because it happens like more or less midway through, but there's jostling a position because they go up uh, on the rafters, not the, the rafters, but they go up like the, the set of stairs and they're able to get on top of the office and they they're about to do moves to each other, but they keep reversing until Milmuerte power bombs Phoenix into the office through the roof, and I'm like Okay, I'm, I know I'm watching her show, but I'm like, he's dead. They filmed a man <laughs> dying. I actually, I was like, that's, that is, I've never seen anything quite like that. There's other federations that have done it before or since. I wasn't aware of them. So it made a very big impression. And it was like a big, like everything worked together to make this match stand out. And I was watching Lucha Underground the most when I was traveling because I had an iPad at that point. And the only way you could legally get Lucha Underground because it was on the El Rey network, which you know we need an expensive cable subscription to even get in Canada, but they were releasing these matches on iTunes. So I had an iPad and just, oh, I could actually get it. So when we take plane rides, 
I would just load up like six or seven episodes of Lucha Underground. And I would just, that was my entire trip. I was just watching all and I'm completely focused on it. Like I have nothing else to do. I'm, I'm in a plane. So I got, because of that delivery vehicle, I was like even more invested in the product at that time. Um, and then like, I fortunately, like all of it kind of dried up around season three, wasn't able to get it on iTunes anymore. So I didn't really, never really finished season three and definitely didn't start season four. I do want to find some way to, to see else what I missed. Cause I know even crazier stuff happened, but um, that match was just, it was everything kind of just started to click where they're getting the the uh the heel over with his gimmicks and really positioned him as the, as the Shao Kahn and people think I'm kidding they he just sat in a throne for the rest of the episodes and he's just he's got two big skulls on the on the 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 fucking throne and he's like gripping them and he's looking he's like yes yes and he's feeding <laughs> off all the soul energy like it was it was better than Undertaker like what like it used the concept of undertaker even better than undertaker did mm-hmm. where he, he, when he was the ministry just come out maybe strap the odd person to an undertaker symbol and that's it otherwise he's not on the show but here mil muerte was watching everything transpire and it was just like it was so cool it was the combination of all video game tropes and fighting games and wrestling it was it was it was a special time and it, it burned bright but very brief wrestling. I always say this um, to, whenever I get into conversations about sort of the more weird and wonderful side of this sport, wrestling is always at its best when it is inherently bollocks. <laughs> and I was like, in my head, he's going to say if it, when it was inherently bollocks, like, no <laughs> yeah. gonna say it. wrestling's the best when it's inherently bollocks. And it is <laughs> when you, when you step away, I, when my mom and dad, Ask me how work is. I say, yeah, it's great. I just talked about grown men pretending to hit each other. Like that's what it is. And but and I and I say that not in a disrespectful way. I no, say it with absolute love because what a what a blank canvas to draw on. Mm. It's like here is your framework. Do whatever. And Lucha Underground is one of those promotions that went. All right. What if it wasn't an arena? What if it was a temple? <laughs> What if there's something locked in the basement (laughs) and no one knows what's down there? Dude, like it was, okay. All right. There's that, right? And then there's keys that you need to get and the keys unlock something. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening in the world? But my personal, like just as a, like just what you're saying, like it's bollocks. It's like, no one could think of this except for Mad Men, right? Where at the end of season one, it's like, oh no, the cops are investigating the Lucha Underground organization or the FBI. And it's like the end of a season, like it is a TV show, which is why it was so compelling from a storyline perspective. Is there a lot of promos going on? Is there a lot of wrestlers getting themselves over specifically? It's like, no, they're not. They're not they sometimes shout stuff in the ring, but it's not that important. It's the stuff that's in between the connective tissue that they're they're peppering in here and there. It's not just someone awkwardly staring at a TV screen and then just going, I will beat you, bitch. Yeah. Like that's that's the in vogue right now. It was all this other weird stuff. Like, yeah, the FBI is investigating Lucha Underground. We're gonna have to shut Lucha Underground now. So all the rustlers are given a heads up on this. So in a 
in an example of brilliance, all of the wrestlers get into, I shit you not, get into their twisted metal vehicles that are all styled after the wrestler. Like, um, there's one guy that's into, like, hunting. There's this one uh, uh, luchador that's into hunting. So his truck, his battle truck, has horns on it and antlers, and they're all driving away in their themed WWE crush hour vehicles. (laughs) And they're like, oh, I'm out of here. (laughs) Leia suckers. So amazing. (laughs) Like, I'm having heart palpitations just thinking about how, how... how uh, right it is. innovative it was. <laughs> Honest to God, it's, it, it, I'm, uh, all right, to all previous guests on Desert Island Graps, I'm livid with you. That we, <laughs> I am furious and you're not welcome in my garden because <laughs> you, we haven't talked about Lucha Underground in this amount of time. It's just devastating. I'm glad that we did. And you know what, Matt? I'm really glad that you came onto the island. There is somebody in particular uh, that we do need to thank for getting you onto the island because it was during a a casual stream on Twitch just the other week uh, that somebody popped me a message and said, hey, why isn't Matt McMuscles on Desert Island Grabs? Yep, I remember this. And I was like, I, 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 I don't know. Why aren't you? So I'd like to thank, <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank Stephen Best, aka at Bestie Battalion on Twitter for nominating Matt McMuscles. And I was like, I had, why hadn't I thought of that? Why isn't that a thing that's happened? I know that you're an incredibly busy guy. And I'll, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to blow a little bit of smoke, please allow me to do please. so. Uh, as a, <laughs> as a, I've, I've been a, a massive fan of what you do for a long, long time. And I'm genuinely blessed to live in this weird version that's, of the that's multiverse. That's too much now. No, 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 no. Hear me out. Hear me okay, out, you okay, sucker. Okay, Hear okay. me out, you sucker. Go I'm, off. I'm genuinely blessed to live in this version of the multiverse where on the odd occasion I get to hang out with Matt McMuscles. Like, that is the, for me personally, for as, as, as a random that worked in a game shop that now somehow is fluked to living on YouTube, I am delighted that we get to have a chat every so often. It I'm getting a little verklempt. I'm not going to lie. Getting a little <laughs> verklempt. But I uh, think, no, thank you so much. Every time we do anything, it's, it's, it's always a fun time. And, you know, uh, uh, again, thank you to uh, to the person that like suggested this because yeah. like you know I, I'd seen you post like yeah, Desert Island Graps and I was like oh I wonder what that is that seems interesting you know it never uh, unfortunately I, like clicked on it to like really find out but I was like oh that's another fun thing that you're doing I'm assuming and hey oh just surprise surprise it's really fun to do so uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me on today. Where can people find you, sir? Uh, you can find me, uh, I believe we mentioned it like once or twice, but the YouTubes uh, on the Matt McMuscles Flophouse, just, you know, youtube.com slash Matt McMuscles will get you to where you need to go. And you can also find me on a very similar Twitter account at Matt McMuscles. So no. those are the two places I, I creep around. The Flophouse Patreon gets you early access to a lot of lovely videos, by the way. I put up our our um, our watch along of a hard ticket to Hawaii on the Patreon, yes. which uh, was also a, a cracking good time. So uh, there's that. I also do uh, you know, exclusive audio commentaries on the old Street Fighter cartoon uh, modeled after the Van Damme movie. So uh, those get put up there about once a month. So that's some exclusive stuff you can look forward to in the uh, Patreon. Support Matt on Patreon. If no other, no other reason, because he's finally... <laughs> 
finally brought Lucha Underground to Desert Island Raps. Christ, it took too long, Matt. <laughs> wow, 70 episodes, you're saying? At least 70. I've lost... Yeah. Uh, I've, there's, a, there's a backlog of them. It might be 80, but it's definitely 70. <laughs> okay. Wow, I, I feel honored. I feel honored. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic Wrestling News.